Lester, the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. Also made available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. All hit radio. Every time you pick up the mic, you are broadcasting. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Won't you turn your radio? Hello, and welcome to Lester the Nightfly. This is part two of a two part series. We're with Ron Chambers from the Cadillac Kids, a punk, post-punk rock band from Detroit. Let's pick up with one of their big songs, Establishment Bash. Tell me more about this establishment bash production. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, when I was a, uh, a young aspiring musician, uh, one of the Detroit bands that really had a big impact on me was a, a band called MC5, the Motor City Five. You know, they had a, a song that was very controversial called Kick Out the Jams, Mother. Bleep. <laughs> and they, of course, you can't, after they got played about twice on the radio, the FCC came in so they recorded and edited it it was uh they changed that to brothers and sisters kick out the jam brothers and sisters <laughs> it lacks the same punch i would just have to say <laughs> well i feel pretty good and i guess that i could get crazy now baby because we all got to do no when the dressing room got hazy now baby we got Wayne Kramer, who was uh, one of the guitar players in the MC5. He produced that recording session, and we did, I don't know, maybe four or five songs. And Establishment Bash was one of those. So, Ron, in our first conversation, 
last week we were talking about you sitting around i said dining room table i think you were more in your bedroom but you had your band together songs that you had written and others and you were collaborating and building and you have recordings which is so crazy and amazing of you on that little cassette player making magic with simple tools and we actually have them. You went back in the time between this show and the last show and you found the archives and you sent me three pieces and everyone, we're gonna hear them. It's so cute and adorable and awesome. Probably the wrong words for punk. I'm sorry about that, but, but it's so cool that you've got this, this recording, these pieces. You know, one thing that I always would do is I would try to lay down a reference track of each song that I wrote. That's how I have all these tapes that we converted to a digital format. And that's what, you know, what we're going to be listening to now is a little bit of some of that stuff. Just probably me and an acoustic guitar. Sometimes I would double track things on that machine I told you about. So. I'm bringing this song back. I, I no, of course, I wrote it, but I like this song. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back. All right. So what happens a lot of times is, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm sitting around playing and I just do different things, put different chords and somehow or another, the something happens, <laughs> you know. And so uh, at the time I wrote I'm a Fool, Billy Idol was really hot. And I thought, man, I want to have a song that really rocks like that, you know? And I just sat down and came up with the chord pattern for I'm a Fool. And then I started writing some lyrics down and, you know, it just comes out. I can't explain it. <laughs> Thank you. 
bass player in Cadillac Kids, my good friend, brother Chris, back in the earlier days, you know, he was just developing as a writer himself, but he was really good at coming up with cool melodies and stuff. He sits down with his guitar and he starts playing what would later become shoulder to shoulder uh, and singing the melody, no words. He just had melody. Right? That's what he'd give me. And then I would go write lyrics for it. We collaborated a lot in the early days. days and you spent 10 years you know devoting your life to this what comes to mind those th about that early time in your life well it's, it's it sounds cliche but it's sort of like almost it's almost living the dream <laughs> i say almost because you know if there were levels of success we kind of got to the second level we never got to the top level which is a major recording contract you know playing venue big venues all over in front of thousands of people Although we did play in front of thousands of people when we opened up shows for like the Romantics or Alice Cooper or whoever it might have been. You know, we, we played in front of lots of folks, but we were never the headlining band. We were the warm up act. But we got to do all of those kinds of things and really experience what a band's life is like on the road and, you know, doing shows like that at a high level. As I said, you know, I got to do things that a lot of people who are a lot better than me will never get to do.
So the Romantics used to play the, you know, punk new wave scene in Detroit as well. And that's how I got to know those guys. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they got a recording contract. The song, What I Like About You, they wrote while they were in their sessions, I guess. They, well, you know, they were there to record and, and Mike Skill came in and started playing those three chords, you know, and um, they wrote the song. You know, it wasn't one of the songs that was supposed to be on the album. It turned out to be the big song. It's a great story. Uh, and, may, maybe their biggest, maybe. Oh, it's yeah. Gotta it's, it's gotta, gotta be. It's got to be, right? Yeah. Because there was uh, Talking In Your Sleep. Yep. I love the romantics. I yeah, mean, that's high school. Sleep. Yeah, that's a great song. Oh. You ever heard Rock You Up? I don't know. Let's hear it right now. Let's hear it right now. Rock You Up by The Romantics. Why not? You were really part of that romantics thing for a little while. At least you knew of what they were doing and all that. Well, yeah. And and so what happened when they got their record contract and they went out on tour, they took us out with them. We did a number of shows with them. They took another local band from Detroit on to do some shows. It was awesome. So on my birthday in 1981, I think it was... The Romantics played at Pine Knob mm. when what I like about you was cracking it. Mm. And guess who opened up for him? 
Uh, I don't know. Who could it be, Ron? Cadillac Kids. <laughs> you guys don't know Pine Knob if you're not from the Michigan area. It's a big outdoor venue. It's the big outdoor venue. It is where I saw so many bands. The Go-Go's and the Flock of Seagulls. I mean, Huey Lewis. It's, it's the place, Pine Knob. And you played that place. That was probably a full house, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I- it's it's a daunting task when you look out from the stage at 20,000 people looking at you. It's wild, man. Played with the King Bees there. I played with Black Sabbath there. Oh, we opened up for Black Sabbath there. That was an interesting show. I can imagine. You know, when you go out and play with some of these big bands and you're you're not really a a national touring artist, but you get an opportunity, you know, you don't always get the full effect of sound and lights and all that stuff. So we were at the sound check for the Black Sabbath show. We're, we're really humble and everything. And so I go to the uh, the the stage manager for Black Sabbath, and I go, "Hey, uh, you th- can can we have monitors, right? You know what you get?" Yeah. And the guy says, "You can have whatever you want. They're going to trash you anyway." <laughs> exactly right. You cannot win. Oh my God! Yeah. We're here for Sabbath, man. Who are you guys? What's this? We played with Alice Cooper wow. and Billy Squire on a show up oh. in Charlevoix. You remember Castle Farms? Yeah. Well, I don't. I never was. I never went there. I, I never uh, saw Castle Farms. We we played. We opened for those guys. We did a number of shows up there. Oh, 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 oh,
shoulder to shoulder. What can we say about this one? It was one of my favorite songs to drum to. If you listen to the drum tracks uh, throughout that song, it was just really fun to play and just it rocked, man. Uh, hey, I'll tell you a secret. I don't suppose that my band will be listening to this <laughs> unless I tell them. But right. So Chris, the bass player, had this idea for sort of a, for lack of a better term, a rock opera. Oh, and love that. Yeah, and he's he has kind of written a storyline uh, for it, and he's using uh, a lot of our music or pieces of our music that are woven in and out through this thing. Hmm. Oh yeah, my 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 my. What did I do? you off this way it must have been something You never know where these things lead, you know, and, and opera is a form that I follow a lot. I'm very involved in opera here in New York and an arts organization called the Giulio Gari Foundation, where we give money to young singers. And it's a form of art that many aspire to because it is the gestalt. It is the Gesamtunstwerk. Uh, it is the whole, it is the, the big kahuna. Yeah. Because it brings it all together. What can it be that keeps you at a distance? Now it's in some great fashion. Or maybe some gossiping shot. Could it be the way I dress? Or the way my hair is You guys have uh, opera in your brain, uh, you know the the libretto and then the, the execution. I mean, that's that's a that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out. I mean, it's it's a tremendous idea, I think. And and he's put this all together, and he's been sending it to us, uh, you know, kind of play by play or scene by scene. Hmm. You know. There'll be some live performances in it, but he wants me to be the narrator, which I thought was cool. Oh yeah, you got a great voice for that. It's going to be the the storyline of a guitar player. I think there's going to probably be a girl involved, right? Mm, it has to be and some booze. <laughs> if it's going to be an opera, it has to. There has to yeah, be love. Someone's going to someone's going to die. You know that. That's <laughs> So that's exciting. That's that's down the road. That, that'll be our next radio interview. We'll talk about that. Ooh, love this. 
let's go back to the early days and the things that helped shape me as a musician and artist. And I would like to hear In the Midnight Hour by The Wanted. There's another one you've got on the list that right from then 1967 the underdogs yeah love's gone bad you want to go there yeah i love that song played that song in the very first band that I was in uh, because they were a local band and back in those days you know you may remember this but there was a couple of big time AM radio stations this is before FM really took off and if you were a local band you could get airplay on those stations hmm. 
So like, you know, Bob Seger, he got airplay on those stations before he really had a big record deal. The Underdogs, same way. The Wanted, the same way. Those are songs that we would hear on the radio and everybody was listening to them in Detroit. So if we were going to learn songs, we learned those songs, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so this song, Love's Gone Bad, when I met the Cadillac kids, they had liked that song as well. And we decided to do our own rendition of that. was a special version everyone that's the cadillac kids version of love's gone bad i'm gonna say 1983 our manager introduced us to this guy named prince and his music not him personally but his music i started listening to this album and it was it was incredible and uh the band liked uh, this one particular song and the title of that song was when you were mine Didn't have the decency to change 
so we we incorporated that song into our set like i said most all of our shows we were doing all original music but we had one two or three different cover tunes that we would do our own version of as i've mentioned before and this was one of them So one night we're playing at a bar on the east side of Detroit called Tracks. Yeah. Big, big, uh, you know, local scene, music scene bar. Mitch Ryder was there. Hmm. Um, Mitch Ryder used to live in the same neighborhood as I did way back really? when. And he was, we were playing When You Were Mine. And Mike Skill was there from the Romantics. And so Mitch asked Mike, hey man, is, is that an original song? <laughs> and Mike says, no man, that's a Prince song. And he goes, oh, yeah, I like it. Shortly after that, John Cougar, he was called still back then. Sure, yeah. Uh, he really, uh, Mitch Ryder really influenced him as a young musician and artist oh, as well. Okay. And of course, Mitch's career wasn't really doing anything much. And Cougar uh, reached out to Mitch, said, I want to I want to record a new album with you. I'm going to produce it. And guess what ended up on that album? Seriously. When you were mine. Wow. You, you know, you're the guy behind the guy in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you There's were a mine. Million of them. When you were mine. Let's hear a little bit of Prince and then we're going to hear the cover from the Cadillac Kids.
Where do you want to go next? Let's go to Hendrix. So on my 12th birthday, my girlfriend brought me, bought me Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix. Hmm. And now I heard, I think it was Purple Haze was the sing, first single. I heard that on the radio. And it was good, you know. But I got this album and I started listening to all the other tracks. Like, Are You Experienced? And I just, it just changed a lot of things for a lot of people, this whole album. He changed music. I tell people this, Jimi Hendrix recorded sounds in the studio on his records that you go buy a box for now if you're a guitar player. Hmm. Foot pedal boxes. Right. He, right. he revolutionized guitar playing and sounds and recording and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. He, he was in, it, one of the most talented people that ever lived. And uh, he really impacted me too, even though I'm not really like a Hendrix style type of guitar player. I, geez, I barely played rhythm <laughs> well. Mm -hmm. But he really impacted my life. So if you want to play a Jimi Hendrix song. experienced you can okay. ask that question today to anybody and they're gonna will really their heads gonna spin yeah there's great songs on that album third stone from the sun mm. that's earth i live there yeah <laughs> <laughs>
we worked so hard for so long. Uh, we had a couple record contract offers, you know, that we uh, decided to not take. Jeff Figer was doing entertainment law back in, in these days. And so uh, we took this uh, contract to Jeff to look over for us. It cost us like $600 or something, man. It was killing us to pay this kind of money to have it reviewed, but it was good investment because he said, if you guys sign this, you're fools. Uh, and he gave us a couple of examples. One of them was, if you guys hit big, the record company is going to keep all of the merchandising. Wow. So t-shirts, you know, oh whatever. God. That's huge. Dolls. You know, I mean, who knows what would happen to a you know band if you hit it big? So it wasn't it wasn't in our best interest to sign it. And there was a couple of offers that weren't in our best interest that we turned down. But anyway, when you know. Over a long period of time, we kind of started to lose our hope and our dream, uh, you know, I think. And we were just kind of going through the motions. And the last thing, like the straw that broke the camel's back, we had um, a song from Brian Adams. Hmm. And we had a guy who was going to produce us. Can't tell you the guy's name, but he, he did Tommy James and the Shondells. Wow. And, I think he did Joan Jett or somebody. He had, a, you know, he had a resume, right? And we had those two things ready to kind of, you know, do uh, implement and, and maybe have some success with. And our 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 management team kind of dropped the ball on stuff, and that was we just kind of had had enough, you know. Hmm. We sort we did we never really broke up. We just stopped playing. Hmm. And so we do a show once a year now. But when was that that moment that Brian Adams? moment what year i believe that would have been about 1989 okay and you know it's a it's a tough business anyway mm -hmm. and everything's got to go right you got to have a little luck but you certainly got to have people who are doing things um you know for you and i like the, the our friends the romantics they're there's these two guys that were their managers sold their car so they could put these guys on an airplane to go do a showcase in new york city for a record label Wow. You know, wow. Um, so you have to have everybody, you know, all rolling at the same time in the same direction kind of thing, you know, and it just, you get to a point where you give up a little bit. So we decided to stop playing. Um, and I started moved into a different phase of life myself. Um, I became a Christian guy. Um, and um, I just, I was burnt out on the whole music scene and the club scene. I, I just had had enough of that. I, I just thought I can't keep doing that stuff. I don't I guess I I guess I'm done. And I just kind of put my guitar in a case and sat it over in the corner and one day I was praying. I said, "Lord, if there's something you can, that I can do that would be pleasing, let me know. Get your 2 by 4 out because I I I was music was such a part of my life. It was like gnawing at me to do something, but I didn't want to do something frivolous, you know. Hmm. So one day I went over and I picked up my guitar and I wrote a song for the Lord. And I thought, hey, that's cool, you know, but how many ways can you sing about Jesus? Uh, that's how naive I was. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know anything like that. But there's a whole Christian music scene. So anyway, over time, I started writing songs, but I had my own style, you know, uh, and, and my own art, I guess you would say. So some of those songs um, I put together and I put out a Christian CD we have some of that music here. We can listen to one of those if you want. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to do that. Wh which track should we listen to? 
Let's listen to Let Him In. I think I got it all finished, and uh, it came out where you could actually buy it in 1995. Wow. And is there a story behind the Christian uh, side of you? Were you raised Christian? Did this happen all at once? How'd you get there? To be perfectly transparent about it, I needed a new life, and I, I went to uh, my friend, the chiropractor, who shared a lot with me, and I said, hey, man, you tell me when you get born again, you get a new life, and I need one. And so he, he referred me to his uh, pastor friend, and I, you know, uh, said the prayer of salvation, and I became a Christian. For a while, for a while. 
and it, it really did change my life. I use my music to tell stories about my faith or uh, life experiences. a part of my life where I was involved in drugs. I was in the rock and roll business, man, you know? And so there was there were drugs all over the place, of right? Course. Yeah. And so, you know, you realize um, that uh, at some point that that's not good. And I'm lucky to survive it. I, I have friends, mm. many friends who are dead because uh. they got off too far in the deep end, you know? Yeah. And uh, it ended up killing them. But I'm here and I just feel like that God had his hand on me through all of that, even before I knew him, you know? Yeah. And he brought me to a place. So that led me into a part of life where I started writing those kinds of songs as well. follow along are you doing any social posting at all so we are aware of the dates that kind of thing you could look me up on facebook um a lot of people like to use that or instagram and it's ron chambers music so everyone ronchambersmusic.com or on facebook or instagram brings us to the end of two episodes with Ron Chambers. I want to thank Ron for all of the effort he's put into this. The feedback has been overwhelming after the first show. I'm sure it will be the same for this one. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, it's pjdj at lesterthenightfly.com. I will see you next week. Don't you know?